Hello and welcome. You're listening to Connected and Ready, an ongoing conversation about innovation, resilience and our capacity to succeed, brought to you by Microsoft. I'm Gemma Milne. I'm a technology journalist and author, and I'm going to be exploring trends around how companies are adapting to a disrupted world and preparing for tomorrow. We're going to speak to the innovators who are bringing products, operations and people together in new ways. On today's episode, I'm chatting with Ifoma Ajumwa, Associate Professor of Law and the Director of Artificial Intelligence and Decision-Making Research Programme at UNC Law, to talk about how recent advancements in work technologies are impacting the workplace. We uncover how these technologies are driving new organisational behaviours to emerge related to how people are hired, how employees are managed and how data is being used at work. We walk through where missteps have taken place and what organisations can do to ensure they avoid them. And we take a look at what the future may bring when it comes to ethical governance of workplace technologies. Before we start, I want to thank all of you listeners out there. If you have a topic or a person you'd love to hear on the show, please send us an email at connectedandready at microsoft.com. We're so thankful for you all. Now, on with the episode. Ifoma, thank you so much for coming and joining us on the show today. Let's start with a little bit of an introduction. Who are you and what you've been working on of late? Hi, thanks so much for having me on, Gemma. Uh, my name is Ifoma Ajunwa. I am a professor at UNC School of Law, and I'm also the founding director of the Artificial Intelligence and Decision-Making Research Program there. So I received an NSF career grant to look at the development of automated hiring tools in the workplace. I also have looked at research on wearable technologies in the workplace, and I'm currently completing a book on the impact of technology in the workplace on workers. Amazing. So you're, of course, the perfect person to speak to today because we are going to be talking about ethical governance of workplace technologies. So let's start with a bit of an overview. It's obviously fair to say that technology has, you know, not only been changing how we work and enabling us to work from anywhere, particularly obviously we've been feeling that over the last year, but it's also been impacting the workplace itself and the sort of nature of work and what it means to be a worker. So in your opinion, what are the technologies that are sort of driving the biggest changes when it comes to thinking about the workplace? Well, perhaps this could be attributed to finding nails when you have a harmer, because I, I am studying automated hiring, but I do believe that automated hiring is the technology that's making the biggest impact in the workplace because it's essentially become the gatekeeper to for many people who are seeking employment. So every industry from the retail industry to the healthcare services now predominantly make use of automated hiring as a means of finding people, as a means of hiring people. And so I, I believe automated hiring technologies are really a huge part of technologies making an impact in the workplace and on workers' lives. Tell us a little bit about that for people who don't, I mean, automated hiring sounds uh, like pretty obvious, it sort of probably does what it says in the tin, but kind of talk us through that. How does it work? Does it scour the internet looking for keywords or is it reading through CVs or what sort of things does technology do? Well, when I say automated hiring, it's really referring to a range of technologies and a range of sophistication for those technologies. So you can have technologies as simple as resume parsing technologies that are just looking for keywords and resumes, 
or you can have technologies that are actually even more sophisticated and that can scour the web and find patterns and recommend people to be uh, recruited. And then you can also have technologies like automated video interviewing, where the person is being interviewed, not really by another human being, but is basically doing a recorded interview that is then subjected to algorithms which claim to parse that person's emotions, which claim to be able to do facial analysis to determine the veracity of the person's responses or even the sort of level of confidence uh, that a person exudes. So that I would say is, is really the most cutting edge of the automated hiring technologies is the automated video interviewing. We're going to go into some of the further technologies. You mentioned wearables earlier on, and I guess there's a sort of life cycle element of all the different technologies that happen at all the different points um, throughout the sort of life of the employee. But let's dive into this example because we've started with these automated hiring technologies. Maybe it sounds like an obvious question, but talk us through the sort of pros and cons. Why are companies opting to use these technologies against what would I would imagine is pretty common knowledge now, the sort of huge problems that bias can cause when it comes to using these sort of systems? Well, I think the main draw for automated hiring technologies is really the convenience and also the cost savings. It's become rather difficult to have one-on-one meetings um, and therefore, you know, practically impossible to have one-on-one interviews. So automated hiring offers companies the ability to recruit people remotely, to interview them remotely, and even to onboard them remotely. So that, I think, is a huge draw for companies. And then on top of that, right, there is the automation aspect. You are eliminating human positions, right? You are eliminating human job positions. And therefore, there are cost savings associated with adopting these technologies. And and I might even add that one pro in the direction of the worker is the convenience, right, of being able to send so many more resumes with the click of a button, being able to interview from your own home. And this definitely does have huge convenience factors and also could have an inclusion element to it where workers who are living in remote places or workers who might have disabilities and may not be able to travel as often for interviews could be more frequently included in interview pools and applicant pools. So there are definitely some advantages to using automated hiring. On the other hand, the research that I'm doing and others have been doing do show that there are also some disadvantages. There are some problematic features of automated hiring. One of them is the fact that as much as we want to say artificial intelligence, we're not actually completely there yet, right? We're really talking about automated algorithms, which are being created by humans, and humans have biases, and those biases are being then re-encoded into these automated algorithms. We, as a society, do have this sort of blind spot when it comes to automated algorithms. We do tend to think of them as neutral or impartial, 
And a lot of companies are adopting automated hiring technologies really as an intervention against bias that human managers have been shown to evince. However, that's potentially short-sighted because those algorithms are still being created by humans. And without adequate oversight and without adequate regulations, those algorithms will also have the same discriminatory effects as biased humans. So that is a huge disadvantage when it comes to using automated algorithms, which is that in the presence or in the absence of regulation, in the absence of proper design guidelines, you could have automated hiring technologies that do more harm than good. What would you say good regulation, good rules, good governance looks like? Is it a mindset? Is it a set of really concrete principles? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, that's an excellent question because, of course, I'm not a Luddite. I'm not advocating that we do away with all technologies. What I'm advocating for is that we regulate these technologies better so that they can be better tools for the workplace. There needs to be a federal mandate that corporations who decide to use automated hiring systems must subject those systems to audits. And what I'm calling for is both external and internal audits. So the company itself should do regular audits for which it can hire a third party if it wants to. But then also it should allow its algorithms or automated hiring systems to be subjected to audits by the federal government. So this could be something that could be under the auspices of perhaps the EEOC or even the FTC, or it could be a joint venture. I really see this as kind of a joint venture because it implicates obviously employment laws. So that's within the EEOC's purview. But it also implicates consumer laws, right? Because applicants are using this and companies are using this. So that then falls under the purview of the FTC. So I truly believe that audits are a major and necessary regulatory action that needs to be taken for automated hiring systems. Dynamics 365 is helping businesses of all sizes unify their data and create a digital-first culture. With next-generation ERP and CRM business applications, employees at every level can reason over data, predict trends, and make proactive, more informed decisions. Request a live demo of Dynamics 365 today by following the link in the episode description. So let's look at this from the employee perspective. What do employees think about these technologies? Where do they see the pros and the cons? Are they thinking, you know, it's good for these sorts of things and not so good for those sorts of things? What kind of feedback do you hear from workers themselves? So I've been interviewing some workers who have used automated hiring technologies and some of the feedback that I have received have been negative. So a lot of the workers have felt sometimes that the automated hiring technologies don't take into account a lot of people who diverge from the white male standard uh, and also able-bodied standard. So there have been issues and complaints with racial discrimination, also issues and complaints with disability discrimination. For example, one man that I spoke with using automated video interviewing He felt that he kept not getting jobs because the automated system could not understand his tone and syntax 
because he was not a native English speaker, although he was a fluent English speaker. So he was only able to get a job once he actually demanded basically a person to interview him. And that person obviously had no trouble understanding him. So I think a lot of it then goes back to the training of these automated hiring systems. And so many researchers bring up this point over and over again, which is how are these automated hiring systems being trained? Are they actually being trained on a wide range of humanity in terms of recognizing different accents, recognizing different facial tones, recognizing people who are neurodivergent, recognizing people who might have some disabilities? Uh, So I think that's been a big issue for workers. you know, who don't fit the standard. And is there anything that, or is there kind of clusters of things that workers do like perhaps or think, you know, actually this is really helpful? I think for workers, the convenience of automated hiring technologies is helpful, right? Being able to put your resume on one website and being recruited like that. So for example, LinkedIn, as much as, you know, some people do have some complaints about it, It's also widely used because of its convenience, right? You can put your resume on there, set that you are looking for a job and get contacted by recruiters. I do think there is still room for improvement, but altogether, I think people have, for the most part, found LinkedIn very useful. I'm very much a LinkedIn user. I have found it useful in terms of connecting to people across my field and also beyond. People have found me on LinkedIn and suggested collaborations that have been fruitful. So I do think a lot of these technologies are useful um, as long as they are well-regulated. Let's move away a little bit from automated hiring systems. I could talk to you about this all day. You clearly have so much um knowledge and and insights on this, but I want to go a little bit more broad. So you mentioned earlier on wearables as well, which is obviously a big topic of conversation when it comes to workplace technology. But maybe before we do that, you mentioned before this idea of the sort of employee life cycle, shall we say, when we're thinking about different technologies that used. Maybe walk us through that life cycle and tell us uh, sort of what's relevant at what stages. So um, I really see, as I describe in my Law Review article, The Paradox of Automation as Anti-Bias Intervention, I really see new technologies emerging in the workplace as creating this life cycle of data collection and data analysis for the worker. So first, you have the hiring and recruitment platforms where applicants are being sourced, can be part of the initial life cycle, and then you come to the automated hiring phase where the applicant's resume is being parsed for keywords and some of the automated hiring systems might even go as far as looking at the social media of the applicant, which, you know, is not necessarily something I agree with because it can raise discrimination concerns. And then past the hiring stage, you have the onboarding stage where there's even more automated systems such as ones that predict salary for the negotiation process. And they can do things like look at the applicant's past jobs and predict what salaries they had 
or they can basically predict what salary would be acceptable for the applicant. Once again, there can be the potential for bias also at this stage. So if, for example, somebody had gotten a lower salary at previous jobs because of racial discrimination or gender discrimination, then asking for the salary history or using salary history as one of your variables for your automated hiring is going to then compound that discrimination and carry it forward. So I I would really discourage that practice. Uh, Then past the onboarding stage, you have algorithms that are focused on tracking productivity for the worker. Um, And of course, I see that the employer has a vested interest in making sure that the employee is productive and is returning value for the money invested in the employee. But on the other hand, there can also be issues here with worker surveillance. So in an article that I wrote with uh, Kate Crawford, who is a, a Microsoft researcher, we looked at the idea that in the U.S., you really have limitless worker surveillance because there are no federal laws um, laying out regulations for how far the employer can go to track workers. So we had one case in California, the Arias case, where an employee found that her supervisor had been using the productivity tracker that she had been obligated to download on her phone to track her even in her off work hours. So this employer was tracking her during the weekend and then was using it to basically harass her and uh, and intimidate her by telling her, oh, I know where you were during the weekend. I even know how fast you were driving. So, uh, you know, worker surveillance can go too far. We've also heard stories of productivity apps downloaded on computers for workers that take screenshots of that worker's computer every five minutes and does it in a very visible way, which obviously can make that employee feel not just untrusted, but also anxious because that's very distracting when you are actually trying to do work to feel that an employer is just watching over your shoulder. There's also other products that do keyboard tracking. So they're logging the keystrokes that an employer is typing. Other products are perusing the employee's emails and basically trying to determine if the employee is being productive in their emailing. So with all of those technologies, I would offer a word of caution to employers, which is that the research has shown that while it is important, right, to monitor workers, to ensure there's no misconduct in the workplace, and also, right, to check for productivity, worker surveillance can go too far and actually be counterproductive, where the worker feels so stressed, feels so anxious, feels so distrusted, that they lose morale, and they actually are not as productive as they could have been if they had had more trust and autonomy in terms of accomplishing their work tasks. Even the term employee monitoring, um, I think that sounds pretty sinister, to be honest. And, and on the face of it, the, even just the idea of tracking productivity feels not quite right. But there's a lot of other workplace technologies that the way that we speak about them is perhaps positioned as um, 
pro-worker for, for, for lack of a better word. So I'm thinking about, for instance, uh, wearables that are there for safety measures, things that are there to track your fatigue, to make sure you don't um, hurt yourself on a tool, for instance, or um, exoskeletons to help you enhance your bodily functions to lift more and so on and so forth. And very much positioned as being able to enhance what the worker can do, obviously having a productivity side there, but mainly being talked about, at least in a sort of safety perspective. And really, you don't hear these sort of discussions about this, as you put it, the collection of data over time of workers. So like, how do you sort of reckon with the usage of these different kinds of technologies, the way we talk about them, and then how they are made to be acceptable slash are acceptable in particular good usage cases versus just being something that employees should really be very unhappy about and not want to engage with. Right. So the impetus of most wearable technologies is to either protect workers or to enable workers to have better health, right? So you have the idea of that you mentioned of wearable technologies like the exoskeletons that can help workers be able to lift more or even lift better in terms of their posture. You also have other wearables that can protect workers like miners who wear hats that can actually show through walls to be able to see where there are pockets of gas, for example, and therefore prevent fatalities. You also have wearable tech, like the ones that you can use for tracking your heart rate, tracking your calories, tracking your footsteps, right, that are used as part of workplace wellness programs. In a lot of ways, there is benevolence, right, on the part of employers who are introducing this workplace wearable technologies. On the other hand, these workplace wearable technologies are also gathering so much data, and a lot of it is really personal, sensitive data. And for workers, there can be a worry of how this data will ultimately be used. So there could be a worry that this data could be used or interpreted in a way that is actually detrimental to the worker's best interests. So I think wearable technologies are, like any other technology, a tool which could be used for good with adequate regulations, but which does also raise a lot of concerns about the data which it's collecting and about the data which can be ported from it. So a lot of workplace wellness programs, for example, do sell the data that they obtain without the knowledge or consent of workers. And this does raise grave concerns, right, about data that is actually, frankly, health information and could be very sensitive health information. So I I believe the wearable technologies industry is very due for some regulation by probably the FDA uh, to start off with, and then one in the workplace, probably by the EEOC. So uh, something I think has also been interesting to see or worrying, depending on how you look at it, over the last year has been how COVID has really, I guess, enhanced a lot of these conversations and also implementations, not only from the productivity standpoint with people working from home, but also introduction of things like, for instance, temperature sensors placed around factories and checking people's health as they come in the door and all that sort of thing. 
And you can sort of look at it from one angle with a lot of these different kinds of technologies and say, you know, that companies are trying to put these in for good reason. It's not necessarily coming from a space of wanting to track your workers and, and do these things that are really not okay. And But at the same time, perhaps a lack of acceptance that these technologies can be used for these processes sometimes does mean that it's open for that kind of um, abuse later on down the line, whether it's right now or perhaps in time. So what should companies be doing right now? Or or perhaps maybe what are some of the common missteps that organisations make with regards to implementing and bringing in new workplace technologies? You know, what should they be doing or reevaluating to ensure they avoid common mistakes? That's an excellent question, Gemma. You know, I think most companies are adopting these technologies in good faith as, you know, a convenience measure, as a stopgap because of pandemic constraints. But I do see some missteps and mistakes that a lot of companies are making. Uh, And I feel that the first mistake is really not asking enough questions. Many companies are basically taking these technology companies at their word, they are accepting the claims at face value without really demanding to see the social scientific studies that back up these claims, without really demanding to see the audits done on these technologies in regards to ensuring that they are not going to return a disparate impact on minority groups or other protected categories. Um, so I think that's the first step. Like companies do need to start asking questions. Uh, companies do need to be more discerning when they are adopting technologies and especially when it's emerging on new technology. I know some companies are hiring tech ethicists who are able to counsel them and talk through and also ask the tough questions when it comes to adopting technologies. I'll give you one example of when it was very prudent to ask a question. As I write in my book and in my article, one employment lawyer was hired by a company who was seeking to adopt an automated hiring system. This employment lawyer had the good sense to ask the company who made the automated system before we launched this, you know, na- firm wide, right, nationwide. Can you do an audit using the resumes that we will give you to train this system, the training data? Can you do an audit and tell us what are the two main factors or the two main variables, right, that the system will decide is most salient for picking an employee? And do you know what the audits found? Well, the audit found that the two most salient variable that the system highlighted was that the applicant was named Jared and that the applicant had played high school lacrosse. Wow. Right? So, oh my gosh. <laughs> so this is concerning, right? Because here's the thing, those variables are not prohibited specifically under any law in the United States, right? They don't fall under any of the prohibited categories at face value. However, when you dig deeper, you might actually see that they do. So for example, the name Jared, when you go and look at the Social Security Administration website and look at the statistics, the name Jared is most closely associated with being a white male actually more than 90% associated. 
So there is a very high likelihood that if you're using that as a variable, your employees will skew white and male. Okay, then what about high school lacrosse? That sounds innocuous enough, right? Well, ask yourself, why not any other team sports, right? You could maybe see a reason for high school lacrosse being a salient factor as in, oh, that's a team sports. We want people who have played team sports who can be team players. But why not other team sports like basketball? Why not football? There are so many other team sports. Why specifically high school lacrosse? Well, high school lacrosse, if you do the research, is a sport that is not actually offered in most high schools. It is usually offered in high schools located in affluent areas because it is an expensive sport to play. So that means that if somebody played high school lacrosse, they grew up in an affluent neighborhood. Still, you might say, okay, that there's some classism at play that, okay. And, you know, in the United States, classism is not illegal. You know, economic class is not one of the protected categories. Well, when you dig even deeper, right, given the history of the United States, especially the history of residential segregation, then you see that living in an affluent area where there is high school lacrosse can actually be racially significant, right? So because of the history of residential segregation in the U.S., most people who are living in affluent areas are white. It's basically a variable that is selecting for a white person. So this is why you must ask questions, because if the company had not asked those questions, they would have said, well, we don't see any issues with this algorithm. It's not using race or any of the protective categories. But by hiring an employment lawyer to help do the audits, they were able to ask the right questions and detect problems before they launched this system in their firm. And therefore, we're able to avert what could have possibly been like class action lawsuits in the future. So it is very necessary that corporations, organizations who are thinking of adopting any of these technologies, ask the right questions or hire the right people to do the audits and ask the right questions. I want to ask you one final question, which maybe zooms out a little bit, but hopefully we'll get somewhere with it. All this discussion about bringing technology into the workplace for purposes of safety or productivity or enhancement or whatever obviously ties into this sort of accepted idea that we should do whatever is possible to try and get more out of companies. And by that, I mean workers. That idea is being challenged and has been challenged for years and years and years. And But I do think, especially over the last year, with sort of culturally, but a lot of things that have been going on around the world, this idea of productivity at what cost and so on and so forth. So taking that idea in mind and maybe challenging that idea Where does that leave workplace technology? What sort of role can workplace technology play that doesn't go for this productivity at all cost idea that does then, no matter kind of what you do, does reinforce these these negative problematic things? Is there a place for um, these workplace technologies in the workplace of the future that doesn't come at that risk of harm, I guess? You know, to start, I want to say that this idea that you're describing that we must bring out the last bit of 
productivity and work from workers is really a Taylorist idea. And I write about it in my forthcoming book. It's really this Taylorist idea, you know, Frederick Winslow Taylor is really concerned with this idea of getting the maximum productivity from workers and therefore getting the maximum prosperity to employers. And that's why he developed scientific management. So that's really the root of this, which if you go back even further, I would say is part of the Protestant work ethic, right? This idea that work is ennobling and work is inherently moral and and of value is going back even further to the Protestant work ethic. But I do think, as you said, that attitudes are changing. People are recognizing that workers do have other lives, right? They don't necessarily just exist as cogs in the machine for the corporation. They are people with autonomy, with personhood and agency. And workers actually can deliver good products if given more leeway, if made to feel valued. So much of the research have shown this. So much of the organizational theory research have shown this. Workers will deliver more value when they are allowed more agency, when they are allowed more autonomy. So then, in relation to automated technologies in the workplace, we need to start thinking of them less as managing the workers or surveilling the workers or keeping the workers in line and start thinking of them more as enabling the workers to reach their highest potential, right? We need to start thinking of the technologies as serving the workers rather than replacing the workers. So I do think that is a necessary paradigm shift to make these technologies work well for the worker, you know, and also, frankly, ultimately for the corporation, because happy workers are more productive. Um, and workers are happy when they feel that they do have this agency and control over their work. And while that there might be technologies, those technologies are not placed above the worker. I think most people don't want an AI boss, right? Most people don't want an algorithmic boss. Most people are happy to use AI tools that will help them do their work better. So I, I do think as more managers adopt that attitude, then automated hiring technologies can be better incorporated in a workplace and can achieve better results also. Amazing. Ifoma, thank you so much for taking us on this whistle-stop tour of ethical governance of workplace technologies. It's been a pleasure to hear all about your research, your insights and your opinions on this really important and timely topic. So thank you for joining us on the show. Thank you so much for having me, Gemma. It's been a pleasure. That's it for this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. You can find out more about Ifoma's work and indeed some of the broader themes we discussed today in the show notes. If you enjoyed the episode, please do take a few moments to rate and review the podcast. It really helps other people discover the show. And don't forget to hit subscribe and tune in next time to continue our conversation about innovation, resilience and our capacity to succeed. Dynamics 365 delivers next-generation ERP and CRM business applications, helping employees at every level reason over data, predict trends, and make proactive, more informed decisions. Request a live demo of Dynamics 365 today by following the link in the episode description.